Good morning. Whether you're joining us here on campus or you're joining us online, we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Now, we're in the last half of October, and here in Indiana, that means a few things. The trees are turning beautiful colors. We've finally broken out of 80-degree weather. And this is making its way to mailboxes across America. Show of hands, who recognizes this? Really, so few. That's crazy. I, I see a hand in the back. All right, so this is one of those toy catalogs that they send to parents of children so that, you know, in theory, your child can pick out a couple options for their Christmas presents. In reality, it's a little bit different. And now, if you have kids or maybe have grandkids or maybe you once spoke to a child, you might be receiving one of these in the mail. Now, those of you who have seen these and have had an experience like mine will completely understand that when mine arrived in the mailbox, I took it and I hid it before my children could find it. Because you see, what happens with magazines like these is my children will go through and they will circle item after item. And this one's really tricky because there's no price tags. So they'll circle item after item of all the things that they want for Christmas. And then something happens. There's a shift that happens in my children. Because you see, after seeing all of the new things, all of the better, shinier, bigger things, all the things they already have are no longer good enough. So you can understand why I would wanna hide this until the last possible minute. Because once my children see this magazine, they go through and they realize the Hot Wheels set that we play with all the time it's no longer good enough because there's a bigger one where the cars crash into each other. The Lego sets that we have accumulated, some of them a mere month or two old, are no longer good enough because there's another Lego set that's bigger and better. And we expect this kind of behavior from children, and I'll be honest, when I was a kid, I was probably the same way. But reality is that sometimes we as adults can do something very similar, right? We might not go through a magazine circling all the toys that we want, but we might find ourselves scrolling on our phones, imagining the life that we could have and no longer being satisfied with the one that we have. We look around at others and we find ourselves no longer happy with our life, our circumstances, our possessions. This morning, we're wrapping up our Build a Life series over the last couple months, we've been exploring Paul's letter to the Philippians. We focused on how we can build a life that honors Christ and finds impact in the world around us. And this morning, we'll continue to look at how we can build this life through focusing on God's provision. See, we live in a time where we often find ourselves struggling to be content. Like kids reading through a toy magazine and circling all the things we want in life and no longer being happy with what we have. And I'm, though I'm sure it's always been this way, I feel like now it's getting worse. Our world is more connected through the internet and social media. Keeping up with the Joneses has become harder and harder as there are more people out there displaying their lives, their possessions for us to see. Now for some of us, we're unhappy with our, what we have with our possessions. We look at the beautifully curated homes of Instagram influencers and suddenly the dated furniture in our own living room is no longer good enough. 
With every commercial, we long for a bigger TV, a newer smartphone, nicer clothes, and the list goes on and on. And yet, even when we get these things, the satisfaction is temporary, as in just a few months, something newer, bigger, better comes out. Now, for some, it's our relationships. That couple looks like they have it all together. Why can't I have that? Why is my relationship with this person so difficult? Why does everyone else have fun plans with friends and I'm stuck at home on a Friday night? Maybe for others, it's our career. If only I could get that promotion, then I would be happy. If I just got that 3% raise, then everything would be easier. Or maybe if I just worked somewhere else completely, everything would be better. So what do we do when we are tempted to feel that what we have is not enough? How do we counter this feeling of discontent in our own lives? How are we who follow Jesus supposed to be different in a world where being content is some lofty pipe dream? This morning, we're going to look at what it means to build a life of provision, trusting in God's provision, and how this impacts every area of our lives. This morning, we're going to take a look at what Paul wrote in this letter to the Philippians and see what we can learn about it, learn about God's provision from his words. We'll be in Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 14, if you'd like to follow along. Paul writes, the Lord has made me very grateful that at last you have thought about me once again. Actually, you were thinking about me all along, but you didn't have any chance to show it. I'm not complaining about having too little, I've learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. I know what it is to be poor or to have plenty. I have lived under all kinds of conditions. I know what it means to be full or to be hungry, to have too much or too little. Christ gives me the strength to face anything. It was good of you to help me when I was having such a hard time. See, as Paul is closing out his letter to the church in Philippi, he wants to show his gratitude for this gift that they've given him. See, Paul kind of had this policy of not asking for money for himself. I think Paul understood that those who opposed him would accuse him of trying to make money off of the churches that he was planting if he accepted any gifts from them. So in order to avoid any accusations of that nature, Paul didn't write churches to give him money. In fact, when we see him asking for money in the New Testament, it's this theme of an offering to bring to Jerusalem to help other people. And so Paul had this policy to never ask for money for himself. And so you can imagine what an interesting place he found himself in when he received a gift from the church in Philippi, one that he hadn't asked for and one that could possibly lead him into trouble. But I think that Paul understood something very important about this gift. It was less about the money and more about the thought and care behind it. Paul recognized something about how God's provision impacts our use of our own resources. You see, God's provision flows into how we care for others. In the early 1800s, there's a story of a man named George Mueller. He was a minister living in England, and as he looked around him, he saw many <clears throat> Excuse me. He saw many children living without parents, forced to live on the street or in state-run poorhouses, and he felt called by God to begin this orphanage to help take care of them. And so he began to rely on God to provide everything that he would need. 
from money and other resources, God would continually provide for this orphanage for George. And there's one story in particular that I wanna share with you, an excellent example of God's provision for George Mueller. One morning, the house mother of the orphanage came to George and he said, the children are all dressed and ready for school, but there's nothing for them to eat. So George looked at her and he told her to, to take all of the children into the dining room, have them sit around the table. And so the 300 children sat around the different tables in the room. And George prayed a prayer of thanks for the food they hadn't even received yet. Within minutes, there was a knock at the door. George opened it to find the baker standing in front of him. Mr. Mueller, he said, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. And so I got up and I baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. George thanked the man and soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. There was bread and milk for all 300 children. See, this story is an amazing example of how God provides. But there's something that I want you to notice about this story. God provides through the care of his people. You may have heard me say this before, but, but God has the capability to provide anything and everything we need. He can have manna fall in the desert. He can bring water from a rock. He can supernaturally provide for us in any way. But I think that God's favorite way to provide is through his people. In verse 10, Paul writes, the Lord has made me very grateful that at last you have thought about me once again. Actually, you were thinking about me all along, but you didn't have any chance to show it. For Paul, he realized that the care that the church in Philippi showed him, as demonstrated by this gift, was a reflection of their great affection for him. So even though he may not have asked for this gift for help, he realized that they were living out this principle. God's provision flows into how we care for other people. George Mueller knew he had to depend on God to provide, and God moved on people's hearts, like the baker and others who gave financially to provide for George. And George, relying on the provision given by these people, turned around and used it to provide for the children who had no one else to care for them. Now, depending on when you started in your plant journal, you may have just read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and fish. Jesus performs this amazing miracle of taking just a little bit of food and multiplying it to feed so many people. But before he could do that, what had to happen first? A boy had to give his lunch. A boy donated his lunch and God's provision turned it into something greater. See, when we recognize God's provision in our life, it will flow into how we care for others. We can use what we have, our time, our talents, our resources that God has provided to us to provide for others who need it. We also find that God's provision means we can be satisfied no matter our circumstances. <clears throat> I found a story online of a rich industrialist who one day encountered a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. 
And the industrialist said to him, why aren't you out there fishing? The fisherman replied, because I've caught enough fish for today. Why don't you go catch more? Why don't you catch more fish than you need? The industrialist replied. Well, what would I do with them? You could earn more money, he said. You could buy a better boat, so you could go deeper. And then you could catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. And soon you would have a fleet of boats and you could be rich like me. Fisherman turned to him and said, then what would I do? You could sit down and enjoy life, was the reply. Fisherman looked at him and said, what do you think I'm doing right now? I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago. They said that often we find ourselves having this win-then philosophy. And under this philosophy, we tend to believe that when this happens, then I'll be happy. When I get that promotion at work, then I'll be happy. When I finally graduate, then I'll be content. When I get married, when I have kids, when I retire, when my baby sleeps through the night, they go on and on. But the problem with this win-then this mentality is you're always chasing happiness and contentment. It's like running on a treadmill. You can go faster and faster, but at the end of it, you're not really going anywhere. Paul continues in his letter to the Philippians in verses 11 and 12. I'm not complaining about having too little. I have learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. I know what it is to be poor or to have plenty. I have lived under all kinds of conditions. I know what it means to be full or to be hungry, to have too much or too little. <clears throat> In this text, we find Paul borrowing some language from a school of thought that was popular at the time called Stoicism. This phrase he used in verse 11, this translated as satisfied, or in some Bible translations as content, it was also used by this school of thought to communicate being self-sufficient. It was this idea of being free from the spirit of the world and untouched by the events that surround you. But whereas Stoics placed the source of the contentment on the individual, Paul recognizes the true source of contentment is God. One scholar puts it this way. It's an independence from the world through dependence on God. Let me say that one again. It is an independence from the world through dependence on God. I think Paul is teaching something that's vitally important for Christians. See, it's this dependence on God, this trust in his provision that enables us to be satisfied, to be content no matter what our circumstances may look like. Personally, I found that practicing gratitude for the blessings God has given me enables me to find contentment in his provision. Instead of focusing on what I want and the things that I don't have, I make lists of the ways that God has already provided and blessed me. And if you find yourself struggling to be content, maybe find ways to incorporate gratitude into your life. Begin your day writing down the things you're grateful for. Let part of your prayer time be thanking God for everything he's provided in your life. Let it shift your focus from the win-then mentality to one that can be independent from the world through dependence on God. God's provision impacts every area of our life. It flows into how we care for other people. It enables us to be satisfied no matter our circumstances. 
And it also impacts how we handle difficulties, struggles, and hard times. Now, Paul was no stranger to difficult times. His story in Acts is filled with the ups and downs of a life aimed at sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus in sometimes hostile environments. He'd been chased out of town, stoned, imprisoned. His life was threatened on multiple occasions. <clears throat> Yet instead of becoming bitter or angry, he recognized something important. God's provision is where we find strength during difficulty. Well, there are many instances of Paul's story. There's one that I wanna look at this morning. It comes from Acts chapter 16. At the beginning of our Build a Life series, Pastor Kerry shared with us some of Paul's experience in Philippi. He told us about some of the people that Paul encountered, including the story of a girl. She was possessed by a spirit that enabled her to tell the future, and she was owned by people who exploited her in order to make money. And then one day, as Paul and Silas were making their way through the town, going towards their place of prayer, they encountered this girl. And she began to follow them, shouting about who they were, shouting about how they were um, servants of the Most High God and how they proclaimed the way of salvation. She did this for days until Paul finally cast out her demon because he was so annoyed. Her owners were furious at the economic impact of this girl being freed from the demon and had Paul and Silas arrested to humiliate and punish them. The magistrates had them stripped of their clothes. They took the rods that they would carry around as symbols of their authority and they beat Paul and Silas. After giving them a severe flogging, they were thrown into prison. The jailer, after being advised to keep these men secured, led them to the most innermost cell of the prison. He locked their legs in stocks, these wooden devices meant to cause pain and keep them from moving. And so here we find Paul and Silas, physically hurting, their backs bearing the stripes of their flogging, with their wounds stinging against the cold wall behind them, their legs held hostage by uncomfortable stocks. They were suffering. What do you think they did next? I know if it was me, I would be feeling sorry for myself, wondering how I got myself in such a terrible situation. I mean, I'm unpleasant if I haven't gotten enough sleep, much less a beating and imprisonment. But Paul and Silas didn't do that. They trusted in God's provision to give them strength. And they began to sing. At first, the other prisoners were annoyed. One of them yelled at them to shut up while the other rolled his eyes. But as they continued their prayers, as they sang hymn after hymn of the faithfulness of God, something shifted in the other prisoners. Maybe they felt it, that shiver up the spine, the beautiful song sung to a faithful God. Maybe they tried to sing along, catching every other word, or maybe they just hummed the tune. They sang and prayed until around midnight, the earth around them began to shake. The prisoners cried out in fear as the floor moved beneath them. The earth shook and the doors creaked and groaned until finally they swung open. The prisoners marveled at these doors that were wide open and then they realized that the chains, the stocks, everything holding them in place had released. 
They were free. They could escape. And as the earth finally became still again, they looked to Paul and Silas, connecting these men, their prayers, their songs, with what just happened. Paul and Silas suddenly became their de facto leaders, and when they both shook their heads, signaling for all of the men to stay put, they did. The jailer, the man responsible for keeping prisoners in prison, he ran down to the prison. The earthquake had woken him, and he was concerned about what he might find. He saw open doors, and he immediately thought the worst. What's gonna happen to me, he thought. They're all gone on my watch. And because of what he had been taught, that the honorable thing for him to do would be to fall on his sword, he, rather than face execution, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself when he heard a voice calling out from the prison. Don't harm yourself. We're all here, Paul said. The jailer dropped his sword, still tense from the events of the night, and he called for light. He went in to inspect the cells and he found every prisoner accounted for. Relief washed over him as he marveled. Every chain had been broken. Every door wide open. This night could have devastated him. Could have ended not only his career, but his life as well. He turned to Paul and Silas trembling. He fell down to his knees, still overwhelmed, and cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they told him, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They shared with him the gospel, the good news of what Jesus had done. And he not only became a Jesus follower, but then he took care of Paul and Silas, washing their wounds, giving them food. And then... He was baptized. See, Paul understood that God's provision is where we find strength during difficult times. A while after this story happened, Paul wrote these very words to the city where he had been imprisoned, to the church there. Christ gives me the strength to face anything. It was good of you to help me when I was having such a hard time. Now my guess is you maybe have heard verse 13 before maybe in a different version. I know it was one of, the, one of the Bible verses that I memorized when I was in youth group. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And while it makes a great Etsy t-shirt or a water bottle sticker, when we isolate and pull that verse from Paul's story, I think we can miss some of what it means. See, we so often look at this verse as anything is possible. But think about Paul. Think about his story. Consider how much strength he needed to endure prison, beatings, threats on his life. For us too, when we need that kind of strength, we find it in Christ. When we face that unexpected diagnosis, when we look around our world and we see war and violence and natural disasters and hatred and political division, when we've lost a loved one or have broken relationships, Christ, Christ gives us the strength to face anything. It is through God's provision that we find strength during difficulty. As Paul closes out his letter to the Philippians, we find that God's provision flows into every area of our lives, it flows into how we care for other people, it enables us to be satisfied no matter our circumstances, and it even gives us strength during difficult times. 
So how do we build this life of provision? Trusting in God's provision and letting it impact our lives. First, we have to learn how to recognize it. We start by naming the gifts that God's given us. The areas of our life where we can see how he has been at work in our life. Last fall, I read a book that my mom gave me called 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. In this book, the author recounts her journey of writing down 1,000 blessings from God. It's a beautiful documentation of not only God's provision in her life, but how the naming of that provision changed her and impacted her. And I think for us too, the first step is to recognize God's provision in our life. Maybe for us too, it looks like spending time writing down these blessings that God's given us. Maybe it looks like a list that we keep in our journal or maybe we talk about it with our friends and family. I think that there's power in naming and recognizing what God has already provided to us. And through this process of recognizing what God has provided, we begin to develop gratitude in our life. Now in the intro to this book for the 10th anniversary edition, Ann Voskamp shares the story of a woman impacted by her own journey of naming 1,000 gifts. See, this woman had been dealing with a personal crisis, and then she found herself unexpectedly expecting. And because of the cover of the book, she decided to pick it up, and she began herself recording the blessings that God had given her, documenting them. The process changed her too, and when she held her sweet baby in her arms, she named the child Grace to acknowledge the work of God in her life. But her journey didn't end there. As doctors told her, that sweet baby in her arms may never walk or talk. And as the doubts of God's love began to creep in, threatening to overwhelm, she held to her practice of naming the gifts God had given her. She was meeting with her trauma therapist and she was sharing about her journey and this practice and what had happened in her life. And her therapist recognized what was happening and told her this. The reason you are finding strength to live through this crisis is because just like you can create a memory muscle, you're creating a gratitude muscle. See, when we recognize God's provision, by making gratitude a regular exercise, a daily practice, this woman had built up this gratitude muscle and it enabled her to survive such a difficult time. What would it look like for you to exercise your gratitude muscle? How can you find ways to look for God's provision in your own life? When we recognize God's provision and when we exercise our gratitude muscle, we find that God's provision flows into every area of our life. How we care for others, how we can be content and satisfied no matter our circumstances, and how we find strength to endure the most difficult of times. Now as we close this morning, I want you to consider what would it look like if as Jesus followers, if we as Jesus followers, were to reject the discontent of the world around us and embrace God's provision in every area of our lives? How would our relationships change if God's provision flowed into how we cared for other people? What would happen if we let God's provision produce contentment in our lives that transcends our circumstances? 
How can we find strength in God's provision even when life is painful and hard? We're going to close with a song called Jaira. You might know it or it might be brand new to you. See, the word Jaira, it comes from this story in Genesis where Abraham is so grateful for the provision that God has made that he turns to the mountain where it happened and he called it Yahweh Jaira, God will provide. And as you stay in your seats and as we listen to this song, my hope is that you'll let these words soak in. So we hear about how God is enough, how we can be content in every circumstance. My hope is that you'll recount the ways you've seen God provide. As we sing about how we're already loved, how we know who we are in God and that that is enough. My hope is that you'll identify ways to recognize God's provision, to practice gratitude, to exercise that muscle. So in the next few minutes, I hope that you'll reflect, see how you can build a life of provision as you go back to school and work and your everyday life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we stand in awe of your provision, of the way that you love us, of the way that you move and work in our lives. And Lord, right now, I pray that you will speak to each heart in this room what they need to hear. Open our eyes to ways for us to put this into practice, to trust in your provision in every area of our lives. Show us ways that we can develop gratitude for all that you have done for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
As you leave this room, you go back to your everyday life and school and work and home. You can build that life trusting in God's provision that you let it impact everything from your relationships with other people to your ability to be content no matter your circumstances and to find the strength that you need to make it through difficult times. So go in peace and have a great week. Thank you.